telephone number to WhatsApp uh, Table Talk uh, even now. And the number is 082-657-2729. Get those voice notes rolling in. I'll try and make sure uh, as Teppo is talking that uh, those contact details are in the show notes, particularly on Facebook. Uh, we look forward to hearing your voice notes on Radio Pulpit this morning, making sure that the lights are on, DK, you are at home base. Uh, thank you so much for setting us up and dialing us in. It is good to have you with us in this partnership, brother. Um, if you're on Twitter, I mean, there are so many ways that you can talk with us this morning. <laughs> if you are a tweet, um, you can uh, tweet out on at 657am. Again, looking forward to engaging with you on that medium. And then my new favorite favorite is live callers. We can speak to you live and online, hear your voice, engage with you, ask for clarifications on your questions when they are bizarre. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we just love to have interaction and engagement uh, with our listeners. And the studio line is, now write this down because you will forget it, Oh, one two. 334-1322. And again, all of these contact details momentarily will be available in the show notes on Facebook. We are so looking forward to chatting to you. Before we begin the conversation regarding Baptists, and before I begin by saying hi to listeners who say hi to us on those various different mediums, um, I do want to speak uh, to our friends from 4SA. 4SA um, is an organization, a legal advocacy organization working to protect and promote the constitutional right to freedom, uh, to religious freedoms uh, in South Africa. And this morning, we are joined by Daniela Ellebrecht, uh, who is an attorney of the High Court of South Africa and serves as a parliamentary liaison. She is a graduate from a little town that I lived in for a while, uh, Rhodes University in Grahamstown and she has specialized in litigation. Uh, Daniela, it is so good to have you with us this morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Mark. Always a pleasure to talk to you and your listeners. So obviously at the back of all of the listeners' minds, because we asked them to go and engage in the hate speech bill and all the nuttiness that was involved in some of uh, the original uh, um, uh, wording that was put together and I have no doubt that, that listeners heeded the call and the banner cry and went and uh, submitted petitions all over the place. Uh, I'm hoping this morning that we can get some feedback on the hate speech bill um, and that was open for comment till the 1st of October, right? Yes, it was open for comment until the 1st of October. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so go for it. I was going to say, um, perhaps we can just recap for those listeners um, who weren't aware of the campaign, uh, what this bill was about and why it was so important for the public to make their voice heard. Excellent. So, yeah, maybe just because there will be listeners that are listening to the show for the first time. Welcome to you. It's great to have you guys with us as well. Um, maybe just explain to them a little bit of background and why did you ask the public to provide insight uh, into this particular bill? So, Mark, the proposed hate speech bill, um, for the first time in South African law, will criminalize certain forms of speech. Now, due to the wide definitions in the bill, um, the result is that if 
this bill becomes law, you could potentially say something um, that someone else doesn't like, disagrees with, or even finds offensive. And they can then lay a criminal charge against you with the police. The police can arrest you and you can then be criminally prosecuted. And if you were convicted of the crime of hate speech, um, in terms of this bill, you could even be fined and sentenced to three years imprisonment. So from a religious freedom point of view, um, obviously religious freedom is the right to not only believe in your heart what you believe, but to live out your belief publicly and talk to others about your belief. Um, so from a religious freedom point of view, the concern is that if this bill becomes law, it would just make it so much easier to silence people of faith or to force them to compromise on their religious beliefs. And it was therefore important that we oppose the bill um, to protect this right to freely share our beliefs with others. Daniela, I mean, the truth is I say stuff that people don't like all the time. I would have inevitably been in 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 problems in the and trauma with the, yeah with, with with no time to spare and so um this bill was was quite important to me um and i i realized that it became very important to listeners so a, a number of listeners engaged with me quite early on and asked how they could go about submitting a petition or submitting uh, their voice so that they could be heard um how did that process go um how many people commented what was the what was the the, the mobilization um of the church in south africa mark it went really well um so off the bat i just want to say that um like petitions they they they, they carry some persuasive value but what we actually asked people to do was submit comments because what makes a, um, a petition and a formal comment different from each other is that parliament has to consider a formal comment. So they have mm. to read what each member of the public had to say about this. So we really... Oh boy. Uh, uh, there was a glitch. You're back. <laughs> um. So we really try to mobilize the public to send in comments um, to Parliament. And we work together with the DRSA site um, that some listeners might know that to just make it really easy for people to participate in this process. And we are very pleased and very grateful um, to be able to say that by the closing time for comments on last week, Friday, more than 102,000 people had commented mm on the DRSA online platform alone. Now, this is in addition um, to comments that people would have made directly to Parliament. So it's hard to say what the exact number of comments um, is that was submitted, but it's definitely more than 102,000, which is fantastic. Um, and we would just like to take this opportunity to say a big thank you to every person, every church, every ministry who commented. Your voice is important and it can make a difference in protecting religious freedom and freedom of speech in South Africa. So well done. Uh, excellent. And uh, love the encouragement as well, because I, I, I do think that it is important to recognize that um, when one person is mobilized to make a comment, each individual adds up to the greater mass. I mean, 102,000 is a staggeringly large percentage mm. of people commenting on a single bill, even in terms of just the population of South of South Africa. So uh, incredibly well done to those who commented. 
Um, in reality, most of the listeners um, don't have the legal background that you have, Daniela. Um, in, in fact, I even include myself in this, even though I've been talking to you guys and engaging with you guys and interacting with you guys for, for quite a while now. I'm still relatively clueless how the wheels of motion work, how, how the state goes about moving these things forward. Um, I'm very interested to know what are the next steps, what, where to from here? So, Mark, actually, just on that point, um, we were discussing as a team the other day um, that we might even be doing like a short YouTube video series just to educate people about how the lawmaking process works and how they can participate because we believe it would be so useful to the public. Um, I mean, in my personal opinion, this is the type of thing we should be learning in life orientation in school, but maybe one day the Department of Basic Education will listen to us and include that in the curriculum um, as opposed to CSE. But hey, so turning to um, what the next steps are when it comes to the hate speech bill. So like we were saying earlier, Parliament has to consider every single comment that was made, um, which is what makes comments or submissions different to um, a petition. So they're legally obliged to properly apply their mind to every single um, comment they received. And um, they will probably also invite a number of organizations um, to come and make oral submissions to Parliament. For us, was one of the organizations that did ask for the opportunity to make um, oral presentations to the Parliamentary Committee dealing with this bill. Um, and then they have to consider all the comments, um, all the proposed changes to the bill, um, and see if they accept these proposals and changes and amend the bill accordingly. Um, and if the first House of Parliament, the National Assembly, um, is satisfied with the bill, it then goes to the second House of Parliament, the National Council of Provinces, um, for consideration and acceptance. And the second House of Parliament will likely also open, open up the bill for public comment. Um, and then only once it's been passed and accepted by both houses, does it go to the President for assent? So just to quickly recap for listeners, um, it's currently in the first House of Parliament, the National Assembly. We just commented on it in front of the National Assembly. National Assembly is going to look at all our comments that we made and decide if they want to change the bill um, to in line with those comments. And then if they accept the bill, it goes on to the second House of Parliament, the National Council of Provinces. National Council of Provinces will likely ask for us to comment on the bill um, in whichever form it is then. And once they're happy, goes to the president to be signed into law. Um, oh. So there's still like a bit of a process ahead of us. Um, and I want to just make listeners aware of that, that there will be more opportunities to comment and they mustn't grow weary. We need to take every single opportunity we have to make sure that if this bill becomes law, it's a in a form that at least protects our religious freedom and our right to express our beliefs. Mm, okay, I, I mean, that makes that makes absolute sense. And we don't want to live in a country where these things are just kind of railroaded in. Uh, we want there to be due process. It sounds like there's a lot of process. Uh, I mean, just give a guesstimate. How, how long do these things take? So, Mark, that's hard to say um, because Parliament does have pressure on it to pass this bill. Um, and this bill has been in the pipeline for several years now. Um, but like you said, the legislative process 
the wheels do turn. There are like processes that need to be ticked off and public engagements that need to happen. And this can't be contailed. So also we're in an election here with the local elections happening this month. Um, uh, so there's no doubt, um, you know, that although this is government's priority, this bill isn't going to be getting much attention in the next few months. So things will, you know, move um, and we'll just have to keep an eye out to see how fast. But I doubt it will be, you know, considered by Parliament. They'll start working through the comments before the end of the year. Mm, absolutely excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, once again, you guys do such a great job of keeping us informed. Uh, I mean, realize that lots of what you do is lobbying at government level, um, but just in terms of keeping us as the public informed and particularly us as the, as the Christian church informed, thank you so much. Really appreciate the clarity in which you speak. Um, even as folk are listening this morning, I have no doubt that some people will be intrigued and want some more information. Uh, maybe some folk actually want to know what are the pressing issues that you are currently looking at and engaging on because it's not just the hate speech bill. You've always got like seven or eight balls in the air. Um, how can people get more information in terms of freedom of religion in South Africa? Awesome. Thank you, Mark. Um, so for this, those listeners who are keen to know about more about the issues that are currently affecting religious freedom in South Africa and what they can do about it, I can refer them to our website, which is which is at www.forsa.org.za, um, where they can also sign up for a newsletter. They can join Forsa as an organisation, which allows us to speak to Parliament on their behalf, or they can make a donation because, um, like you said, we we juggle quite a lot, but we're quite a small team and we're a completely donor-funded organisation. We would. Love to grow that team to be able to allow us to do more. Um, so any donations are always welcome. And then also they can um, also follow us on social media at our Facebook page um, at Freedom of Religion South Africa. Well, Daniela, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you enjoy the fair city of Cape Town and uh, keep up the good work on behalf of the churches. God bless. Well, listeners, we now enter into the part of the show where we look at questions and answers, where we engage with you on what is pressing, what is current. Uh, we start to talk about God's Word, the Bible, the church, and all of these matters. I am so looking forward to the conversation today. And let me tell you why. Well, number one, I'm joined by Tsepo. So he is sitting to the left of me, and, uh, and so I know the conversation is going to be flowing. Um, but I spent this week at the Baptist Union of Southern Africa Annual General Assembly, which is a meeting of Baptists all over the country. Now, Baptists are a peculiar bunch. I will give you that. Um, in that, every single Baptist church is autonomous. It's one of our stated principles. Um, the church is the highest decision-making body under Christ, each local church. We don't have bishops over us or a pope in Rome or um, a presbytery in the uh, Presbyterian system. Uh, instead, the local church is the decision-making body. We are congregational by nature, and we're going to talk about all of those definitions shortly. Um, and so as a result, Baptists aren't even necessarily all kind of aligned to one another, all in the same boat. 
The Baptist Union represents about, what, 950, 980 churches in South Africa. But there are other Baptist associations. There's Solar Five, which represents uh, a reformed group uh, of Baptists. Those are about 36 churches. There is the Baptist Convention of South Africa, uh, which represents a number of churches. Uh, I'm going to just take a guess at 150. If there's anybody who's listening in who can correct that number, I would love to hear from you. Um, uh, and then there are a number of churches which are completely independent. Uh, there are churches all over the country that are Baptist, um, but don't by free will associate with either a union, um, an association, uh, or the convention. And so, uh, as it turns out, there, there literally are thousands of Baptist churches in South Africa. Uh, I was at a an assembly of one of those groups of churches, the, the, the union, and it was an incredibly good assembly. I, I mean, I've been going to assemblies for years, right? I've been, I've been at Crystal Park Baptist Church for 10 years. And so as a result, I, I've been to 10, 11 assemblies over that time. And I can truthfully say that this assembly stood out for me. Um, it stood out because of the organization. Uh, we were hosted by a church in Pretoria called Eastside Community Church, which is pastored by Rian Nimant. Um, and standing right next to him, his partner in crime extraordinaire, <laughs> is Mark Odendal. Uh, they did an incredible job with a very large team of people from that church of, um, uh, in terms of logistics. It was just a really, really well-run uh, event, um, mm. you know, hats off to them. They did a great job. Um, and they partnered with other churches. I saw guys, um, in the music team and presenters from Pretoria Central Baptist Church. And it was just, it was just so well run. It was standout, incredible. The other thing that really stood out for me is, um, for the longest of time, there has been talk of shifting sands in terms of structure within the Baptist Union, organizational structure. And we started to get a taste of what that would look like um, really at this assembly as um, a national uh, a coordinator was elected, praise the Lord, not just put in place, but elected by the assembly floor, um, along with, um, uh, with other uh, trustees and governors and all of these kinds of things were put in place. And so we started to get an idea that going forward, the Baptists will be structured, coordinated. Uh, There's some planning uh, that has been years in the making and it seems to be, it seems to be working itself out. There's another two things that really stood out to me. One, one was um, a relationship between unions and associations, particularly regarding uh, what's called a statement of belief. Uh, Baptists, um, whilst Reformed Baptists certainly are creedal and confessional, because um, I keep on hearing that Baptists aren't creedal or confessional, um, Reformed <laughs> Baptists everywhere say we are, and we probably need to explain that a little, <laughs> a little bit later. Um, but Baptists traditionally in associations and unions will hold to statements of belief. Um, and there was a statement of belief presented to the assembly floor in 2017, which was suppressed. Conversation on it was suppressed. However, in 2021, the executive of the Baptist Union both recognized the statement, said that it was in accordance with what is called the 1924 statement of belief, uh, which, which is a, 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 maybe a, a shorter statement um, and certainly not contemporary in terms of some of the topics that it addresses. 
Um, but A, they gave some clarity from the executive of the union in terms of the appropriateness of the 2017 statement of belief, which was reconciliatory for mm. those who particularly were interested in advancing the conversation around the doctrine of inerrancy. Uh, and as a result, I, I found that personally quite elevating. I, I, I was so joyful. Um, and then the third thing is, uh, behind the scenes, there were conversations, both with maybe what might be termed, for lack of a better word, far-right camps, conservative camps, <laughs> reformed camps. Um, and I don't want to say far-left camps, because Baptists generally actually aren't very liberal by nature. Um, there certainly have been elements or individuals within the Baptist Union at times who jumped off the the liberal precipice, the cliff, and and and, and dived in, uh, dived down the cliff into the swells below. Um, but generally, Baptists are evangelical and um, and staid and orthodox. There were some really good um, behind the scenes conversations amongst brothers, and um, particularly regarding the doctrine of inerrancy. Um, men were given opportunity to explain why they didn't necessarily like the word inerrancy. Um, and I found that interesting, and some of you might pick that up, and we can talk around that a bit. Um, but but some of those men certainly affirmed the doctrine of inerrancy, and that was a massive move forward. Make no mistake, as far as the Baptist Union assemblies go, I, I have left 10 assemblies a little bit downcast, a little bit concerned with what I saw. I I think... Uh, I, you know, and I'm an optimist by nature, but I left this particular assembly um, encouraged, encouraged by what I saw, um, encouraged by the mood amongst the brothers to talk to one another, uh, and encouraged by um, some avenues for reconciliation which were clearly opened amongst the churches. So praise the Lord, I for one <laughs> am somewhat encouraged. Um, there might be people that are listening in that were at that assembly. I would love to hear from you. Um, I would love to hear um, just some of the comments that you might have around being Baptist. I'd love for you to call in and tell me why you love being a Baptist, which principles of Baptistic, which elements of being Baptists, which principles of being Baptist you find um, particularly attractive and you are a promoter of. Um, I want to tell you how to engage with us today so that you can start getting your comments uh, rolling in uh, and we can engage with your questions. Um, until then, I'm going to like pass the ball over to Tepo and give him opportunity to talk about being, being a Baptist from his perspective. Um, but let me tell you how you can engage with us. Folk, we are on Facebook. Um, our Facebook page is Radio Pulpit, Radio Console. And right now, I'm actually looking at the stream right in front of me. It is healthy. It is up. And you can comment right below. I get to see those right here, and I can bring those comments uh, into the conversation. Um, in addition to that, you can send voice notes on WhatsApp or Telegram. Here's the number. Listen carefully now. 082-657-2729. Love hearing voice notes. But, Teresa, I will accept your three-point uh, questions this morning. Um, and, and guys, uh, lots of love to long-time listeners. Uh, Penny, I have no doubt that you are online at the moment. Um, folk in Vitbank who are so faithful in commenting um, at churches like Faith Baptist Church, which is an independent Baptist church in Vitbank, churches like Vitbank Baptist Church, which is a Baptist Union, Baptist Northern Association church in Vitbank. And we've even had comments in from Middleburg 
uh, Middleburg Baptist Church being a Baptist Northern Association church. Um, love having you guys in. You might be interested in what it means to be Baptist. If you've got any questions, today would be the time to ask those questions. You can tweet. Um, the Twitter handle is at 657AM. And you can phone into the studio. Can I encourage you, if you are a pastor, Glenn Williams from Macanio Baptist, uh, Macanio Theological College, I'd love to chat to you about being a Baptist this morning. You are a regular listener. Uh, you often send in questions via WhatsApp. Uh, it would be great to hear your voice, brother, and talk around being a Baptist and your own personal um, engagements and interactions on Baptistic life. The studio number is, write it down now, 12 334-1322. We are looking forward to chatting to you. At this stage, I'm going to cut across to Teppo and say, Teppo, it is good to have you with us this morning, brother. Maybe start off. You've had a journey toward baptisticness, right? I mean, you didn't start off in Crystal Park Baptist Church. You've had actually quite a long journey. Maybe just detail that for us in a few minutes. Explain how you yeah and why you yeah what what drew you to a baptist church hmm. okay so so firstly i was um let's talk about my background my my religious background so i grew up i grew up in a methodist church um but then i wasn't i wasn't christian i was just uh, uh just an attendee obviously i was i was also young um and then we moved, uh, this was 2002. Yeah, 2002. We moved um, from one place to another. And then just around the corner was a church. It's called Evangelical Bible Church. Now, there is where I spent most of my time, and that's where my theology got built. Um, and that's where I actually got saved. So, um, Theologically, uh, what drew me to being Baptistic is because almost one-to-one, -one, I actually can't even think of distinguishing factors between um, the EBC or Evangelical Bible Church mm. and Baptist. So because I needed to make a move at the time uh, because of somewhat personal reasons, um, Baptist... <laughs> were the closest because before I made the move I had to evaluate um, doctrine I had to evaluate um, where I would be able to serve God in a most pleasing way and I visited Heritage Baptist Church after listening to Tyrell for a year <laughs> on Radio Pulpit um, and so I went there my first um, arrival was actually an affirmation that that's where I needed to be um, and then weeks after that, I was just consistent. And then later on, took up membership there. Um, so yeah, so that was my journey into uh, being um, into being a Baptist. And then, um, obviously, the principles, like well, you said, which one actually stands out for me? So so I like I like the fact that um, let, let me let me let me just tell it to you it's actually the principle of religious liberty mm. so so for me because i mean i mean every christian every christian should be studying and reading their bibles no question about that right and as a as a person who's given their life over to christ you need your life needs to be um 
it needs to be guided by God's word. So as a Christian, if you're not reading your Bible, how would you know how to live in order to please God? So basically, um, when it comes to that religious liberty, it's not like um, the, the church sort of puts out um, this standard that's, 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 that needs to be stuck to because the church said so or because the bishops they said so because we don't have a bishop. <laughs> so, so everyone has um, the liberty to also live according to what their conscience um, tells them, according to what the Spirit of God helps them to interpret the Bible to mean to them in that in that case so so there's no unnecessary uh church discipline also in that case because you didn't listen to what the bishop the man right at the top said <laughs> so so i think for me that is that is basically one of the um the things that sticks out and i actually love conversations amongst uh baptists because you can really hear that these people are really studying their Bibles. <laughs> so, mm. so, so for me, that's, that's very important because I think it defeats the purpose to be Christian and not read your Bible. Mm. Look, I mean, even as you're talking of religious liberty, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the right to interpret scriptures responsibly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so even built into that principle, and by the way, uh, if you're interested in the kinds of principles that Baptists hold to, you can just Google um, uh, Baptist principles, South Africa, uh, and you will get a list of principles which include the direct lordship of Christ, uh, the church as the whole company of believers, believer baptism, obviously, that distinguishes us from uh, maybe Anglicans and Presbyterians and uh, and some other churches, which are pedo-baptists. They will baptize infants. We baptize believers. The congregational principle, which I think we need to jump into fairly mm-hmm. soon, because I, I have no doubt that that might be helpful to some of the folk that are listening today. Yeah. Um, the priesthood of all believers, which is a personal um, uh, principle, which I love advocating for in the local church. The separation of church and state, which is very, very current in terms of the mm. debate. Um, but this morning, we might not touch on that because we've been touching on it uh, in part uh, in a number of weeks over the last while. Uh, and then religious liberty, which you're talking to right now, which is this right to interpret scriptures. But Baptists aren't wonky, right? <laughs> they don't just come to God's word and make it up as they go along. It's not, it's not a private interpretation. It's not, um, hey, listen here, yeah, you've got your interpretation and I've got mine. No, built into the principles, this idea of responsible interpretation. Uh, and then the right to act in light of uh, your own conscience uh, regarding that responsible interpretation. So traditionally, uh, and I say traditionally because there is some discussion in terms of definitions and words around this, but the hermeneutic, which is how we go about reading God's word that Baptists have employed, has been a literal, historical, grammatical hermeneutic. Literal, meaning that when God says something, we believe that he means what he says. He doesn't mean something that he didn't, he, he doesn't mean something else other than he says. We don't, we don't go look for some hidden meaning behind the text, you know. We, we don't uh, think of um, maybe the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan takes two coins when he goes to the inn and he slaps him down on the table and he says, hey, I'll be back. And if there's anything more, it'll be to my account. And we say that those two coins represent 
um, the Father and the Holy Spirit, because the Son was the donkey upon which the Samaritan was laid, or something, something like that. That could be allegoricalization uh, in terms of interpretation. We, we, we literally, oh, we literally, <laughs> we hold to a literal hermeneutic. We, we, we look at God's word and we say God meant something when He wrote what He said. Not only that, grammatic, grammatical interpretation. We care about words and sentences and structure and the flow of the uh, of the conversation we're actually looking for authorial intent when we come to god's word and we're not just looking for what does this mean to me today we're looking for well what did this mean to the original uh, audience as they received it from the original author we're looking for authorial intent and we get to authorial intent um, by looking at the grammar uh, of what God's word is saying. And then historical. Uh, we recognize that God's word was written within a historical context, um, that we can't just pluck verses out <laughs> from the middle of Scripture and then directly apply it into our lives today because <laughs> then we come up with bizarre interpretations. Um, I mean, some examples of Scriptures which are classically very poorly applied to a modern day audience would include by his stripes we are healed uh, as some kind of prosperity gospel <laughs> hangover um, uh, abuse of scripture uh, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you um, used by uh, false prophets all over South Africa this Sunday um, you can mark my words if you're sitting under one um, used by false prophets everywhere to say that God has an intention to prosper you mm. without explaining that that scripture exists within a historical context mm. it wasn't written to you it was written to Israel uh, and so it has application to you because all of scripture is given that we might be built up edified um, it's all inspired uh, it's given for our edification for our inspiration for our exhortation uh, and even sometimes to rebuke us um, but we don't just cherry pick a verse and then apply it into our lives without doing the hard work of understanding how this verse was given in its historical context. Um, and so that idea of religious liberty um, attached very carefully to this responsibility that we have to rightly interpret God's word and then act in light, um, in light of what it says according to our conscience. I think so often... As Christians, we're quite happy to study God's Word. Our heads get bigger and bigger and bigger until they're so swollen they can't sit on our, on our shoulders anymore. Um, but in actual fact, God's Word is given that we might live by them. They are, they are good precepts. They are like uh, honey. It's meant to be eaten and enjoyed and satisfy our souls and then lived out in our lives. That is the way that Scripture um, ought to work. And so, yeah, great principle. Well done, bud. You want me to tell you how I became a, a Baptist in two minutes or less? Yeah. <laughs> so I was born into a Christian family. My dad is an Anglican pastor. I hated the church passionately. <laughs> I was so totally depraved that it is unbelievable. That might be a theological catchphrase, which uh, gives away where I stand on a continuum, on a soteriological continuum. The bottom line is I was running away from God as hard as I could. Um, but God ran after me, hit me over the head and dragged me into the kingdom. Um, my girlfriend at the time, who is my wife now, would take me from church to church and I'd listen to, <laughs> I'd listen to the sermons and be completely unimpressed. Um, we went to about, I'm going to use the, I'm going to use the number 14. I don't know exactly how many it was, but literally she took me to about 14 churches, mm. uh, you know, uh, from a wide spectrum, Anglican church, <laughs> 
congregational church, uh, uh, Methodist church. Uh, she took us to a couple of charismatic churches, a couple of mega churches. Oh, man, I was so unimpressed. Although, I must be honest, part of my unimpressiveness in terms of what I was seeing was a heart problem, not necessarily a problem with each of those individual works. But eventually she bought us, and it would have been the last church. I was sick and tired of being a hypocrite. Um, I was really not into this at all. But she took me to this little church. I mean, 25, 30 people maybe in the room, um, little independent Baptist church. And there, a man, very unassuming man, in a tweed jacket with a quiet voice, opened God's word and read God's word and then just explained what the meaning of God's word was. And as he was explaining it, the sovereign hand of God did, did uh, uh, opened up my heart. I mean, really, the eyes of my heart were opened. I beheld Jesus in the text. I mean, I was shook, um, wept like a baby. <laughs> and, uh, and because my mother had so often shared the gospel with me as a child, I knew what the road to salvation was, that I needed to repent of my sin and put my faith and my trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who died as a substitute for me on the cross, uh, who rose uh, as evidence that God had accepted his payment in full. And so I did. I, I believed and I professed faith. and I believed with my heart that um, God had risen him from the dead. Uh, and I became a believer and, and started to take the journey of faith uh, in terms of discipleship uh, in that local church, Midrand Chapel. And then, you know, later um, felt called into ministry and ended up uh, coming to Crystal Park Baptist Church and moved from an independent Baptist church, which later joined an association called Solo Five, um, but then moved into a church which was a Baptist Union church, part of the Baptist Northern Association, uh, and a church which has subsequently also joined Solar Five in terms of association. But that would be my story of coming into um, the Baptist fold. And I would say the, the, the real, the real um, principles in terms of being a Baptist that, that, I, um, that, that, that I really enjoy promoting um, would be from a practical perspective, the congregational principle, because I've just seen how um, congregationalism can grind the decision-making uh, within a small local church to an absolute halt. And I think we need to talk about that. How, did, how can decisions be made within the context of a church which is congregational um, uh, uh, when, when things go wrong? What are some of the things that we can do to correct that? Um, but then also this idea of the priesthood of all believers, that within the context of our church, um, we are the church. Um, we are not the building, and we are not the pastor or the priest in the front. Um, we, the people, are a priesthood together, serving God, using all of our gifts and our talents to bring glory to his name. And uh, I would say that in terms of a hallmark of my own ministry here at Crystal Park Baptist Church, the idea of a priesthood of believers has been one that I certainly have uh, advocated for. Tepu, just uh, turning over to you um, as we um, start to think through some of the questions that have come in, and I, I do want to recognize and thank folk that have started to ask questions. Um, uh, Jean, uh, Jean uh, in um, uh, 
uh, in particular, just says thank you so much for the informative interview with 4SA. It's good to be informed. And she says, when we know better, we do better, which is so true. I hope this morning as we talk about being Baptist, <laughs> we will know better um, so that we can do better. Um, uh, we will be bringing in some of the other questions that we have received shortly. But but Seppo, just, just over to you. We, we're coming up for 11 o'clock. We're going to be taking a short break at yep. 11 in order to enjoy some music um, and listen to um, uh, a couple of uh, adverts. Um, but Seppo, as, as you think of being a Baptist, and I'm thinking now particularly in, in the context of congregationalism, mm-hmm. have you seen congregationalism done well? And, and more importantly, just to get the conversation going, have you seen congregationalism in particular done poorly uh, in your personal um, walk as being an evangelical slash baptistic believer? Yeah, so quite touchy um, because uh, there's what you call elder-led um, and elder-ruled. <laughs> so so in terms in terms of that, so... Others would say um, the elders make the decision, and others would say the elders put forth a a what do you call this a suggestion or what they're thinking about, and then bring it to the church. But then ultimately, jointly with the church, the elders would make the final decision with the church. So, so there's 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 an unhealthiness if, that, if that's a word <laughs> there's an un- unhealthiness of um uh what we call decision making where when we put one man or two people above the whole group because the whole group as um the priesthood of all believers um has a say in this church that christ is the head of so i think it may be foolish to just have two men who are running, let's call it a church of 200, who are just making decisions solely, apart from hearing what the rest of the believers say. So so um, I remember, I, I won't mention the church, <laughs> I remember there was a time when names were put forward for um, prospect uh, leaders in the church. But so it, it came across as this is this is um, what we've been doing. <laughs> this is the men we're looking at. Um, but sort of not opening it up to the church to say, um, please, would you walk with us on this journey? Help us to make this decision well and wisely. Um, do you guys think that we are in the right track from? Uh, identifying the men to begin with. So so I think because because that day, even after after that was presented, there were a whole lot of questions. Like the congregation was like, what is happening? Right? What how how did that get made? Or how did that decision get made? And so what is our role in all of this? And so it it, it became it became a bit of an issue. Um, whereas I think it would have been better if it was Okay, um, these are the guys we've 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 been um, walking with. Um, these are the guys that we've been thinking through. 
Um, would you, as a congregation, please walk with us on this journey? Would you please be praying with us as we walk this journey with these men? And whereas there may be any um, concerns, please bring them to us. Um, because that's, that's what, con- uh, what is this, um, um, a congregational, well, the, the, the term congregationalism, that's what it actually means, that all believers in the church have a say on major decisions on the movement forward of the church. So, yeah, so I, I think that's the two. So the one, elders, includes the church in um, decision-making, obviously, but then the elders have the final say because they've allowed everyone to participate. But then the others is that elders make the final decisions without even taking into account mm. what the church has to say, which I think is very poor. So, I mean, look, um, not necessarily at Crystal Park, but, yeah. but I have seen, <laughs> I've seen congregationalism go wonky in both of those ways. Mm-hmm. Um, when I arrived at Crystal Park, uh, the church was down to five members uh, that were living. It had a it had a role that was larger than that. Folk had left the church and, uh, and the, the role hadn't been maintained and folk had passed away and the role hadn't been maintained. It was quite a mess. Um, but the five people that were left, um, in terms of a congregational, um, a congregational meeting, we're trying to make decisions such as should we move to one or two ply toilet paper? Uh, should we have a church library? If we have a church library, mm. who should be in charge of the church library? It was so micromanaged at the congregational level uh, that nothing was happening. It was dysfunctional, completely dysfunctional. And so um, I know factually that one of the things in terms of the relationship between the congregation uh, and the the leaders of the churches, leaders do need to be released to lead, uh, to lead in terms of the day-to-day management of the church, um, as well as some very important leadership decisions need to sit with leadership themselves so that they can lead um, the church and be released into that ministry. And the, and the church, uh, in terms of recognizing them into the role of leaders, um, releases them and gives them um, certain opportunities to exercise that freedom of decision making. Um, but on the other side, uh, I've seen congregations go awry um, when elders um, rule instead of lead, um, when elders literally have no intention of listening to the state of the flock and become completely disconnected from the flock. And it becomes a <laughs> my way or the highway in terms of the way that leadership will work. Um, or, or run so far ahead of the flock that the flock can't keep up in terms of the decisions that they're making. Um, and then congregationalism does come undone. So two dangers. One is the congregation feels that they actually must do the leading. Um, and, and by the way, it's, it's right and appropriate that congregations choose their own leaders. Um, they must be involved in that. It's yeah. right and appropriate that something, a decision as big as your annual budget um, must be approved and uh, and authenticated and uh, and and uh, and stamped mm-hmm. by the congregation, mm-hmm. um, as well as new members coming in and members coming under discipline. The, those member kind of movements; mm-hmm. uh, these are the kinds of things that congregations, the congregation, needs to be involved in, um, because ultimately the final decision making body under Christ will be the church gathered at a congregational mm-hmm. meeting. Uh, and so you certainly don't want to take those those important elements away from the church itself. Mm. Um, but at the same time, 
you, you, you don't want to be making uh, every single granular decision at congregational level Definitely. because then nothing will get done. Yeah. And then number two, um, you also don't want every single decision to be made um, by elders in terms of ruling without any thought given to the sheep that they are following. Um, because then what happens is just in terms of in terms of the way that the body is supposed to be operating, mm. um, the, the shoulders have been disconnected <laughs> from the rest of the body. And I say the shoulders because the head is, of course, Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we keep that uh, clear in our minds. Folk, when we come back from the break, and we're about to go to a music break now, when we come back from the break, we are going to be continuing this conversation of being a Baptist, being a Baptist in South Africa, uh, what that entails, what that looks like. If you've got questions regarding church government or the way that being a Baptist has influenced or impacted your life, uh, I'm looking forward to engaging with you after the break. We'll give details of how you can contact us uh, shortly. Um, but until then, we are going now to a musical interlude. We are going to be listening to God of the Overflow by CRC Music. Looking forward to chatting to you soon. It is good to be back with you. <laughs> really good. Um, for the second hour of the show this morning, um, we're going to be going on until 11 o'clock. We are answering your biblical questions as they roll in, looking forward to hearing them. Uh, I do see a question from Teresa. We're going to be bringing those in shortly. If you've got a question, and we've been talking about being Baptist over the last hour, if you've got a question about Baptists, you want to understand some of the principles that we've been speaking through. We've chatted about religious liberty. We've chatted about congregationalism. We've chatted about the Lordship of Christ. We've chatted about the priesthood of all believers, and we're going to chat about those things a little bit more. But if, if you've got a question that you would like us to bring into the show this morning, I want to tell you how you can do that. Uh, we are currently streaming on Radio Pulpit's uh, Facebook page. You can go to Radio Pulpit Radio Console, uh, and there you can just drop a comment, and we will see it in studio. You can send voice notes or type notes uh, via WhatsApp or Telegram. The telephone number is 082-657-2729. You can tweet on at 657AM, and you can phone into the studio on 012-334-1322. I'd love to hear um, from you uh, and engage with you uh, in terms of a live discussion. Uh, let's just turn to some of the questions that we've received, and uh, I see engagements um, from a number of people, uh, and it's lovely to have you with us uh, this morning. Um, Teresa says, uh, and it's a three-part question, Teresa. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, he's asking for a friend. Oh, no, he isn't. I'm going to just assume that these questions are from, <laughs> are from him. What do you think all believers should actually consider when coming to the church they attend that they most probably have never considered before. What are some of the things that believers should consider as they uh, choose a church or as they come to the church that they attend that they most probably have never considered before? Now, Teresa, I must be honest, that's a really broad question because I'm guessing that every single listener that's listening in this morning is an individual. Um, some of you uh, would have um, very um, long uh, engagements with Christ. You will have read your Bible, know your Bible, and you'd be excellent uh, at evaluating a church. And some folk maybe not so good at, uh, or, or, or not so used to um, e evaluating a church. The kinds of things that I would look for 
um, in a church, the kinds of things I'd look for in a healthy church would have to start with how God's word uh, is handled. How, how is God's word handled uh, in the worship service? Because often a person's uh, first engagement with mm. the church is, mm. uh, is at the level of a Sunday service. Um, is God's word honored? Um, is it read? Uh, it, does, it, does it become a central part of the worship service? Um, ways that it might be a central part of the worship service is, it, is the service opened up with God's word. Um, when the prayers are prayed, are, are they based on God's word? Do they, do they come out of God's word? Um, the preaching, is God's word central to the preaching? Not just tagged on a cherry-picked verse that happens to match the sermon of whoever it is who's doing the song and the dance uh, on the front of a well-lit stage. But, but, but in actual fact, is God's word the central part of the message? Are, are you eating the word of God uh, on a Sunday morning? The songs, are the songs flowing out of God's word? In other words, the songs, are they just appealing to your self-centered nature? Mm. Um, are they just kind of like badly written love songs um, you know the, the kind of song where if you replace the name of Jesus with the name of your girlfriend it would, it would correlate one on one because it's a worldly song, it's a carnal song or, or do the songs reflect the kinds of theological brilliance of the God that we serve, do they honor him and glorify him, are they flowing out of scripture, I, I, would, I would begin by asking those kinds of questions um, if God's word is sent in a church, um, more than likely some of the other marks of a healthy church are going to work themselves out over time or are going to be reflective in the presence. Um, but other marks of a church which is healthy um, would include things like the gospel. Is the gospel clearly being proclaimed? I'm not talking about some kind of prosperity health gospel, health, wealth, and happiness, um, uh, the kind of gospel which tickles your ears, maybe elevates you uh, in the moment, uh, some kind of psychological gospel, uh, makes you feel a little bit puffed up or happy about yourself, uh, a gospel of self-engrandizement or self-elevation. I'm talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that men are sinners and in need of a savior, that Jesus died as a substitute for sinners just like you and me, that Jesus' death was accepted by God, and the proof of that is that he is risen from the grave. He raised himself from the grave. God raised him from the grave. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he is the first fruits of salvation. Um, that he has ascended into heaven and is going to come again to judge the living and the dead. And on that day, you will be judged. And the only men who will be found acceptable before Jesus Christ are those who are in Christ, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. How do you... How do you how do you reflect on that? What should be your response from that? Well, you're called to repent of your sins, turn away from your love for this world and your love for sin and your love for the things of this world and cast yourself upon the person of Jesus Christ. Come to him with your sin, mm. trusting that his finished work on the cross has paid it all and all to him you owe. Um, friend, put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and you will live. Is that the gospel that you hear on a Sunday? Or do you hear like, seven steps to successful living, <laughs> five keys to successful whatevering. Um, the bottom line is the gospel has been watered down to some kind of moralistic man-made religion in too many churches in our country. And if you want to find a church which is going to build you up, I mean truly build you up, not just make you feel good, 
or the one hour service that you attend, but build you up in the most holy faith, a church which is fighting for the gospel, contending for the gospel, find a church which is proclaiming the gospel and that it is first and foremost. And then look for a church which advocates for healthy conversion, um, a church which talks not just about the moment of salvation, but a life of salvation. What does salvation look like? What does it look like to live under the Lordship of Christ? How do you know that you know that you know Jesus Christ? Well, you obey his commandments. Um, find a church which is, is big on discipleship, growing you toward the image of Jesus Christ, providing opportunities for you to connect with mature Christians or other Christians so that you can live life together. Find a church which, which loves God's word, loves the gospel, and moves you toward the person of Jesus Christ. And these other things like church discipline and biblical church leadership and biblical theology that you need to look out for. Um, maybe just in terms of shorthand, I'm talking about the nine marks of a healthy church. If you Google <laughs> nine marks, nine, the number, and then marks as in plural mark, <laughs> uh, you will find a, a list of nine marks which are good to look out for as you are looking for a good local church. Can I just say, if you're looking for a good local church and you're not too sure where to find one, you are more than welcome to write in to me. You can find my Facebook page by typing into Facebook Mark, uh, Pastor Mark Penrith. Pastor Mark Penrith, and you'll find a Facebook page. Uh, if you're looking for a good church in your area, I know a ton of good churches all over South Africa. I'd be more than willing to help you find a church uh, which is advancing the kingdom where you stay. A uh, second question that's come in uh, via WhatsApp is this one. How would you respond to believers who wonder why there are so many different kinds of churches and denominations out there? Tepo, how would you respond to a person who's just like looks at the number of churches. I mean, in Crystal Park, there are 14 churches. Mm -hmm. uh, Crystal Park is 24,537 people, according to the 2011 census. Mm -hmm. There are 14 churches. Um, most of them are kind of struggling just to keep the doors open. Um, but the bottom line is, even in a little suburb like ours, there's just so much differentiation and so many options. Why are there so many denominations? Take a stab at answering that question. <laughs> um, so, so firstly, I think you. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the, the bad part about too many denominations. Um, so, I know of um, denominations that have come out of denominations, um, as in it was a breakaway because they just didn't agree with um, what that particular denomination um, held to. Or if there was a, a fight <laughs> in a particular church, and then they're like, "No, we're breaking away." So I'm gonna be um, the leader of whatever church I'm gonna start, and be not going to um, be or have an authority on 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 um, on our congregation. We are what do you call them? Independent. We are independent. We don't want. So they are good independent churches, right? They sure. are indep uh, Baptist independent churches. But there are those independent churches that do not, like, the pastor just wants to run the show. He makes the financial decisions. He makes, he makes all the decisions in the church. And there, you, you're definitely going to run into a lot of trouble because you, you can't convince him otherwise uh, because he's got no plurality. He's just one man, and it's a one-man show. That's basically what it is. 
So, so there are those there are those denominations that have broke away from um, mainline or mainstream denominations, and also there are there are many reasons. Um, uh, what is this? There are so many denominations. It's because basically um, other so they they are pro, pro, uh, Protestants, right? Um, and even some Protestants don't agree on main um, or, or on what. Uh, uh, what is this statement of beliefs they follow? So they probably would say, "I know, you know what? This this one we don't agree with. So let us let us move away, let us break away. But we will hold to um, let's say things of first importance, right? Uh, we will hold to that, but change just this one thing that doesn't sit well with us, which we feel is primary to our um, our belief or our salvation or our practice." And so there would be those breakaways. And yes, there are many good denominations, um, but not all denominations are good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess as I'm as I'm thinking through the question, I'm going to start by going to John chapter 17, mm-hmm. the high priestly prayer of Christ. Mm-hmm. And in John chapter 17, Jesus makes it very clear that whilst there might be visible denominations around us. The, tr- the truth is that there is only one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, I'm quoting the no, apostolic no. creed, and let me just explain <laughs> what I mean by that, please, right? Please. One, 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 as in one indivisible church. Hmm. Jesus looks at his church, his body, and he sees one unified organism mm-hmm. of believers throughout all time in every place. Um, um, Jesus prays for his church and he he does he prays for the unity of the church anticipating the disunity of the church Mm -hmm. because Jesus knows all things Um, but he prays for his church and his church is one with him as the head Mm -hmm. Um, and so we need to first, even as we recognize that there are different denominations, we need to recognize that there is one universal church The, the apostolic creed says one holy Catholic and apostolic church, and we've explained the one. The next word would be holy, that this church is sanctified. That's what the word holy means. It's just, you know, Christianese <laughs> for, for sanctified, which is Christianese for, um, for perfect, for good, for wholesome, um, uh, for right before God. Uh, in truth, the invisible church, the universal church, uh, is holy. It has already been made holy by Jesus Christ, her Lord and her Savior. He, he has washed her and he's making her fit to receive her as his bride at the end of the day. Um, there is one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now that word Catholic gets everyone a little bit confused. And I must be honest, the first time I heard it was in a church service. We were reciting the apostolic creed as part of our church service. And we got the holy Catholic and apostolic church. I like swallowed. I, I couldn't say the word. I was like, what? We're Baptists. How can we say Catholic? Well, the word Catholic really just means universal. Um, that's what it means in terms of its essence. And that's the way that it's been used in terms of the apostolic creed, which predates the Western Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. And so um, when we say we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we believe in one universal church. It, it, it is not a, and this is not a statement of ecumenicalism, um, kind of like, hey, listen, here are the differences between Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, and uh, Anglicans actually means makes no difference. Mm-hmm. But what we're saying is the invisible church, that church which is made up of 
all of God's people through all of time that have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, never mind where they're from geographically or where they're from in terms of points of time, that church is a universal church. It is made up of black and white and every spectrum of uh, uh, in between, <laughs> black and white and polka dots. Uh, it's every <laughs> color of the smarty box. Um, that's what we mean when we say Catholic. We're not talking about Catholic in terms of really bad theology, which leads to the gates of hell. We're talking about Catholic in terms of, of, of universal. One holy Catholic and then apostolic church. You know, I'm reminded of Acts chapter 2, and at the end of Acts chapter 2, you have a description of the early church uh, in Jerusalem, and it's a most amazing church. Um, it's an organism, um, because the church is an organism. It's mm-hmm. the body of Christ, but it's an organized organism, just like the body of, uh, like a normal human body has hands and legs and a torso. So, too, the body of Christ, the local church, in terms of the Jerusalem church, is an organized organism. And it is described as an apostolic organized organism. Uh, it says in, I think, verse 42. Uh, Yes, Uh, it says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the apostles' teaching. Mm -hmm. Now, the apostles' teaching in the book of Acts um, uh, at this stage would have been a series of sermons which are being delivered both from house to house as well as in the temple. But that apostolic teaching as it was delivered to the saints then over time becomes the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, along with the book of Acts, the book of, of history recorded by Luke, um, a close associate of the Apostle Paul uh, and, a, um, and a transcriber of the stories of Mary and of Peter and of others. Um, it includes the epistles, the letters that were written to the churches, as well as the book of Apocrypha, um, uh, the, the, the revelation, should I rather say, um, of John at the end of the New Testament. These together would be the writings of the apostles, the doctrine of the apostles, which were handed, according to Jude, once and for all time to the saints. This is the faith with a capital F. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, one. And so when I talk about denominations, I always want to start off by saying, whilst there are Whilst there is a church visible, and it appears divided in so many ways, there's a church invisible, and it is undivided in every way. Jesus Christ prays for the unity of his church. But then just a moment in terms of the denominations. Some of the differences between denominations actually are really good. I mean, the bottom line is um, some denominations uh, are denominational because of empathy, Think of the Methodist Church, which is methodical, the the word Methodist, um, the mechanisms, uh, particularly for holiness in terms of the establishment under John Wesley and Charles Wesley was a a movement within Anglicanism um, of revival and revitalization. They started out for really good reasons. In actual fact, Methodists weren't called Methodists. They were just called Anglicans for the longest time. Um, But because they were so distinct from some of the people around them, people eventually started calling them Methodists, and then they started to organize as Methodists. Um, Baptists would be the same. Baptists, really good reasons. You know, and it's in our name. We are 
Baptists. We believe in believer baptism. And we stood distinct uh, in the 1500s and 1600s by some of the churches around us um, who, according to tradition and uh, a, a tradition that was handed down uh, from Rome, uh, were baptizing infants into the church. And Baptists were distinct from that. First, the Anabaptists, who aren't actually Baptists, but we're practicing some Baptistic, um, some Baptistic distinctives. Um, but later, formal Baptists um, as a distinct movement from the Reformation. We talk about mainline churches that came out of the Reformation, and they're not actually as divided as one might think. The Reformed Church, for instance, uh, the Church of Geneva, uh, which was established under John Calvin, um, wouldn't have seen itself as that distinct as a movement. Um, from the other churches of the Reformation around it. I think of John Knox, who studied at the feet of John Calvin and then took this Reformed Church movement across the pond uh, to Scotland and started the Church of Scotland, or the, what became the Presbyterian Church. Um, this wouldn't have been a church which saw itself as distinct uh, from the churches around it. Even Baptists, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm an almost creedal Baptist, which means I look with great... Um, favor upon some of the Baptist, the old Baptist creeds, such as the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689, often just called the 1689 Confession of Faith. Um, the 1689, if you put it alongside other great Reformed doc documents, such as the Westminster Confession, which is the controlling document of the uh, Church of Scotland, there's actually very little difference. Um, and so I know in youth on Fridays, you've been taking our youth through a catechism, yes. which is actually a Westminster catechism. And then when you get to the sticky bits of difference between the, the Westminster and 1689, you'd point them out and say, hey, guys, on this we differ. Uh, but the differences are actually so myopic that, or so, so narrow um, that, 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 that there's some very good... Um, uh, engagement between those guys. There has been a proliferation of denominationism um, over the last hundred years, I would say, um, uh, as, uh, particularly since the Aziza Street um, revival um, in, I think that was 1904, uh, and a proliferation of, of evangelical denomination. And then particularly as the church starts to engage with the culture around it, uh, around some of the changes in our postmodern world, uh, there have been a number of splintered denominations forming all over the place. Uh, the Anglicans have GAFCON, which isn't actually a splinter, uh, but in South Africa they have reached the Reformed Evangelical Anglican Church, which happened uh, in the last century under Bishop Gray. The Methodists in the state have a number of different Methodist organizations, particularly around issues around LGBTIQ. <laughs> I listened to the Canadian president um, give a give a tweet where that acronym has blown up into like it looks like he just hit the keyboard <laughs> there were so many in terms of the nuttiness of intersectionality um, but but the, the bottom line is um, because of culture there's been a number of divisions amongst the church and sometimes these divisions are very good because it helps us along fault lines see who is in the orthodox faith and who is not in the orthodox faith who is wandering into liberal nuttiness um, or embracing so much of, ch of the culture around them that they no longer can be considered even uh, churches of Christ. Um, yeah, uh, the truth is that uh, denominationism isn't always good. It is sometimes bad. 
particularly when we have division for division's sake, or that division means that we can't be unified in terms of advancing the kingdom together. Um, I, I do, though, think of, of just some of the denominations which are represented around us in Benoni, and just the way that we have found ways of working together with people that aren't exactly like us. I, I think of um, the, uh, uh, the I'm going to say AFM Church, but he actually might not be an AFM Church, Connections, Brent Smith, oh. um, and, the, uh, and, and the fraternal relations that I have as a Baptist uh, with them. Uh, I've preached at their church. They have engaged with us and, and being so generous towards Crystal Park Baptist Church. I think of a really good friend of mine who's at God First, which is a Reformed Charismatic Church, um, uh, Andrew Butterworth there. We have had a pulpit swap. Andrew has preached at our church. I've preached at his church. Mm. Uh, and our churches frequently look for ways uh, that we can interact and engage with one another. And then I think of you know Baptist churches just down mm. the road. We have Benoni Bible Church uh, where Rocky Stevenson, a really good friend of mine, is at. And there on paper, we are peas in a pod and we have tried to do conferences together and other kinds um, of work together. Mm. Um, the, the reality is because the Church of Christ is actually one, even across denominations, um, those who are in Christ do try and seek unity and seek to do things. And there's many other churches that I could name. Uh, Sipo down the road at the Full Gospel Church, him and I uh, troll one another in terms of Facebook, Con well, in a positive way, uh, constantly affirming and uh, building one another up. I really enjoyed that uh, question. We have time for a couple more questions. It's half past ten. Folk, you can get your questions in by dialing into our studio line. You can get your questions in by WhatsApping, dropping a voice note or dropping a written out uh, question. You can get your questions in by uh, dropping a comment on Facebook or sending in a tweet. All of that information is available to you. Um, I've written it down. It is on our Facebook um, stream on the Radio Pulpit Radio Council Facebook page. You can also watch the stream on Crystal Park Baptist Church's uh, Facebook page, on my personal Facebook page, which is Pastor Mark Penrith. Um, it is available on each one of those places. What reasons, you guys a great question, what reasons do you think believers would have not to be part of a Baptist fold, as well as why others would want to be part of the Baptist fold. Uh, what reasons, uh, tips, uh, would you say that people have to not be part of the Baptist fold, and what reasons might they have to become part of the Baptist fold? I've heard people. Hey, just in the background, <laughs> in the corridors. No, I've, I've heard people say uh, we, we, we are not spiritual beings um, just because we take the Bible for what it is. So, for instance, like people, people want to spiritualize stuff. Like they will, like we spoke about um, uh, taking out a verse and applying it immediately into your life. Like, for oh, I know the plans that I have for you. Like this context, <laughs> where do you, where do you take that verse out and apply to twenty twenty one South Africa or South African Crystal Park? How? Where's Babylon? Where, where is Babylon? Right? So I've heard people say, no, 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 you guys, no, there's no spirituality. You guys, um, just, you just read for head knowledge. But for instance, if you ask the same person, um, if, if you watched something and you got it in the middle and you see something unfolding, you're going to be curious. You wouldn't know where it's going because you want to know where it's coming from. You want to start it over <laughs> and get the whole story. But when it comes to the Bible, people just want to take out a verse. 
and move on with it. So, so there, there, there's, there's that argument that we're not spiritual beings because we want to read the whole thing and we, we disagree with how they interpret a, sp- a specific verse. Uh, like you said, by his stripes you are healed. Like, where, like that, that doesn't even speak about physical healing. It doesn't. I mean, Peter there is talking about um, spiritual healing. Sin. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so we, it's, it's those reasons. And then now, <laughs> why people want to become Baptist is the opposite of that. Is because they've seen the abuse of applying scripture in um, in in wrong ways. Like God wants you to prosper. What does it mean to prosper? What what does it mean in the Bible to prosper? Right. So 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 even even in that in even in that uh, verse, like it's not even talking about financial. It's it's talk it's talking about <laughs> all things. I mean, the word prosperity. I don't even know when did the word prosperity mean money. Mm. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, so, so it's basically people who have seen that um, we have been taken for granted. We have been misled. Um, we, we have been um, like, we've just been lied to. And I think that's also a work of God um, at that moment in a person's individual walk with him that he enlightens them to just think deeply about these matters and seek out for the true word and where it is faithfully preached verse by verse, meaning for meaning. And that's basically what they want. And that's how they would make the transition from wherever they are, where they are being lied to, to a Baptist church, a good Baptist church. Okay, so I'm going to bring a little bit of a, of, of, of a bluntening uh, to the conversation yeah. because I, I want to acknowledge that, that Baptists don't have the, um, the, 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 the own, I'm looking for a word here, the monopoly. Oh, yeah. The monopoly on mm-hmm. good interpretation. Baptists don't have a monopoly on the Bible. In actual fact, um, I, I, I want to be first to acknowledge that they are really good. Uh, Anglican churches. I, I was having a meeting this past week with a, a friend, Mervyn Eloff, down at St. James Kenilworth. And just um, what an excellent man and what an excellent church and what a vibrant, um, uh, what a vibrant testimony they have to the, to the world around them uh, down in Cape Town. Uh, I want to acknowledge that they are really good um, charismatic churches. I, I, meant, I mentioned my friend, um, Andrew Butterworth uh, at God First here in Benoni, but I could mention a number of others. Dilip Chetty um, uh, down the road across the highway uh, and then a little bit further distance at uh, Dawn Park. Uh, a man of absolute excellence who loves God's word and is at a full gospel church and, and faithfully applies it um, to his people. I want to acknowledge that traditionally Presbyterian churches have been some of the best churches <laughs> uh, in the hood. And uh, it is very likely as you look for a church um, around you uh, that you need to evaluate churches that aren't Baptist in terms of finding a church which is God-honoring um, and, faithfully, um, uh, and faithfully proclaims the word of God. And let me also say that 
ba- there are Baptists and Baptists and Baptists, right? Yes. Um, so each Baptist church is autonomous. So just because a church has the name Baptist doesn't mean exactly. that they have a high view of Scripture. doesn't necessarily mean that mm. they are an expository preaching church, taking the main idea of a passage of Scripture, mm-hmm. making it the main idea of a sermon, and then faithfully applying it. <laughs> Uh, to the people that are before them. Um, the truth is each individual church needs to be evaluated on its own merits. And so um, uh, to the person who asked the question, I, I want to say that we need to be really, really careful as we come to, um, as we come to the churches in our suburb, if we're looking for a church, we, we need to be really uh, that we find a church which isn't so much holding a tag that we like, mm. but is actually a healthy environment where we are going to grow spiritually along with our family. And that does take a little bit of work. I mean, it really does. It means that we need to maybe listen to some sermons online, uh, watch a sermon on YouTube, that we need to possibly, if we are the spiritual head of the home, go and visit a church before we... Um, uh, before we kind of pitch up on a Sunday with yeah. our whole family, go and visit as individuals. I always appreciate when a a, a mother or a father, mm-hmm. um, a husband, comes and visits Crystal Park before bringing their wife and children or before bringing their children. I always appreciate that. And the, the reason why I appreciate that is because um, then uh, there is a sense that the church is being carefully evaluated. Does this church actually... Um, stand for what they say maybe on their website you know yeah. <laughs> um, uh, in terms of their confession of faith or their statement of belief as a document is that in practice on a Sunday mm. um, is my mm. family going to be built up spiritually uh, it's hard work it will require you to look at all the churches uh, in your suburb in Crystal Park there's 14 in Benoni there will literally be hundreds of churches you'll want to look at the churches and evaluate them carefully to find a church which is going to grow you spiritually and glorify God in and through you um, why would a person uh, I'm also just going to take the question from another angle uh, the question as we've answered it is just an individual looking at a church um, but it might be a church thinking through should I join maybe the Baptist Union or join the Baptist Northern Association or join Solar Five and these kinds of things. Uh, is there any benefit to us in this, or should we stay away from those associations? I, I do think each individual church needs to make that decision themselves. The the leaders, and then bringing that to the members. Uh, this is a, a decision-making process that needs to be engaged with very, very carefully. Each one of the organizations which I've mentioned, whether it be the Baptist Convention of South Africa, the Baptist Union of South Africa, the Baptist Northern Association or Western Province Association or KwaZulu-Natal Association or Border Association, uh, Eastern Cape Association, or Solar Five being an association of Reformed Baptist churches in South Africa, each one of those organizations would probably be a very good fit for one church and yet not for another church. And so one needs to give some careful thoughts to who you will be associating with for the good of the local church. Um, Let me also say that it is good for Baptist churches to be in some kind of association. I I do, I look at the independent Baptist churches and I, I fear that very often they fall into a type of autonomy, which is actually a separation, a, a kind of a fundamentalist, separatist view of their relationship with the body of Christ, or almost a schizophrenic view with the body of Christ. The body of Christ is one, it is unified. And one of the ways that we demonstrate that is by having a certain type of interdependence on one another. 
Now, interdependentality, which isn't a real word, um, isn't a principle of being a Baptist, but really it should be. Uh, somebody needs to write a new principle of, of being Baptist. This idea that, that, that each autonomous church actually has an interdependent, a functional relationship with the rest of the body of Christ. We need the body of Christ. Yeah. Uh, the truth is, as you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, I, I have, <laughs> just in terms of that chapter, it's, mm. it's not easy to interpret. Sometimes I, I, I look at it and I see local body um, metaphor uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Other times I look at it and I see universal body metaphor in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I, I do think that it is one of those chapters which is particularly ambiguous because I think the body metaphor is somewhat ambiguous. It is certainly talking of the universal church. I think of that there is little doubt. Um, but the universal church has some local church application. He's writing to a local church. And so there's, there's local church application. But I think even as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which, which is talking about us being members of a body, I think that it is right to say, friends, if you are a local church, you need other churches because in terms of the universal body of Christ, you are a finger, you are a nose, you are an ear, but you are not the whole body. You need other parts of the body in order to function in ways which are appropriate and God-glorifying, uh, which reaches your city and indeed reaches the world. Um, and so my encouragement to you, uh, if you are a person of influence in a local church which is independent, is that you ought to seek out um, relationship with other churches. Now, those relationships might be formal in nature. Um, so it might be an association. It, it might be a union. It might be a convention. Or maybe they are less formal in nature because you want to emphasize the autonomy of the local church, in which case you might join a network. Um, a, a network which functions and gives you some mechanisms as a local church for your members to experience the interdependency uh, of God's body. Um, but my encouragement to you is, um, is that there is need for us to be connected and there is need for us to be very careful as we connect to other organizations. I do know that we have people listening from all over the country. If you are in Cape Town right now, maybe a professor of history at a Baptist theological college, because I know you're listening, brother. I saw you <laughs> like the Facebook feed. Um, I would love you to interact with us uh, on this topic. Um, uh, we are engaged on a, a discussion regarding Baptist principles. It flowed out of the most recent Baptist Baptist. <laughs> it flowed out of the most recent Baptist assembly um, up here in Gauteng. We, we, we made some positive statements regarding our perception. And when I say our, I don't mean Tepo and my. I was using the royal our mm. um, because I was the only one out of the two of us that was there. And made some, some statements regarding our perception of uh, just how well the assembly was run, but also some of the value that came out of the assembly. And now we're just talking about being Baptists and the kinds of things we love about being Baptists. We've been speaking about Baptist principles uh, for the last two hours. And we're reaching it uh, kind of the last quarter of an hour of the show. I know that there is a voice note. Um, uh, uh, thank you, Mavis, for sending through the voice note. I have no doubt that DK is listening in on that and, uh, and trying to decide if it is appropriate um, to air um, even at the moment. Um, ways that you can interact with us if you've got a question is you can send them in via um, Facebook. Uh, we are on Radio Pulpit, Radio Console. We see your Facebook comments coming in straight away. 
um, as we are talking. Uh, you can also engage with us, friends, on WhatsApp and Telegram. The telephone number is 0826572729. You can type something out. You can send in a voice note. Love hearing your voices. Uh, you can tweet us on Twitter at 657AM, and you can phone into the studio um, if you are listening in. And the telephone number is 012-334-1322. It would be great to hear your voice as you either ask questions, make statements, uh, or observations uh, from around you. Uh, one question did come in this morning. It was unrelated uh, to, um, to being Baptist. It was particularly around Ezekiel chapter 38. And the question was, um, and it kind of, I guess in many ways, uh, reminds us of the conversation last week. Last week we were talking about all things eschatological, um, and uh, I certainly enjoyed that conversation. Um, but the question is actually a question about eschatology. Um, friends, eschatology is really just you know future things, how things are going to happen. Um, and it's around Ezekiel chapter 38. And the question is, is this talking of prophecy? We will hear from Tepo in terms of just a <laughs> litmus, yes it is or no it isn't. Um, I, I'll give you my answer from my side. It's talking about Ezekiel chapter 38. It's talking about Gog and Magog. Um, and it's talking about the Lord's great victory over the nations in Ezekiel chapter 38. Um, you know, I actually think, Teppel, maybe in fairness, um, Stacy's asked the question. Stacy, I could fire from the hip and uh, and link uh, what we see in Ezekiel chapter 38 to passages in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 and 9, uh, 7 to 8. But, but if I do that, I think we might fail to actually engage with the text. So, so Tepp, how about this? Um, you and I commit to next week coming back and just having a little bit of a chat about Ezekiel chapter 38. I think that's, that's better. And it gives you a whole week to decide yeah. Yeah. as to your definitive view of the whole book of Ezekiel. <laughs> Praise the Lord. This is going to be great fun. So, so friends that are listening in um, all over South Africa, you can start to think about eschatology and particularly about the book of Ezekiel and particularly about chapter 38. Um, next week, we will kick off the questions around Stacy's observation in Ezekiel chapter 38. And her question, is this talking of end times? I'm looking forward to that conversation, and we will make it a wonderful one. Maybe what we will do is we'll get somebody else in. We'll have three tables here, one which represents dispensational pre-millennialists all over the place. I will hold that seat and talk on behalf of the left behind crowd. That was just mm. tongue in cheek. Um, <laughs> but I will talk on behalf of the, uh, of the, uh, of the dispensational pre-millennialists. Mm. We will have a group in the middle who doesn't want to necessarily commit to tag, but let's just call them new covenantalists. Um, in the middle who can take a view and we need to find a covenantal friend uh, who has possibly preached through the book of Ezekiel um, and would be willing to stick out their neck and give us an interpretation of the book of Ezekiel based on their belief that we are in the millennium now. Um, yeah, that could be very interesting. Maybe you are listening in right now and you want to make application to sit on a panel that discusses Ezekiel chapter 38 next week. Uh, I will look forward to hearing from you. Are you not revealing names? 
I'm not revealing okay. names because okay. I actually don't know who the person will be yet. <laughs> okay. um, but it'll probably be a ministry friend and it'll certainly be a person who holds to an amoral view. It would be interesting to get a preterist into the view as well. So a fourth chair. Um, and here, how preterists come to both Ezekiel chapter 38 Actually. as well as Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. That could be fascinating. I, I mean, I'm assuming it's verse 7 and 8 in chapter 20. I'm not sure but if, you, if you listen to the show Tarot had mm. on eschatology. Oh, Tarot. I think yeah. we should get Tarot in. We should get yeah. Tarot in next what, week. What, what's the time difference? Uh, it's very late for him, and that will yeah. serve him right. <laughs> so um, Tyrell obviously was the previous host of the show. It would be great to have him in. In actual fact, I spoke to him this week and asked him if he'd be willing to come in as, as an invited guest, and he said yes. I told him he could choose the topic, mm. but you know what? Maybe we just spring the topic <laughs> on him. I will engage with him during the course of this week. Um, folk, as we... As we uh, come to the end of uh, today's show, uh, there's just a couple of questions uh, that we have regarding um, Baptists and these congregational meetings, um, uh, uh, how a Baptist congregational meeting runs and why Baptists have congregational meetings. Any thoughts on, you've been here for for a good couple of years now, Teppo, and yeah. before that you were at Heritage Baptist Church, and before that even you were at an evangelical church, and I'm mm-hmm. assuming you had some exposure to congregational meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, any thoughts on congregational meetings uh, that you can you know, just talk about in a, in a few minutes? Uh, what have you seen working well? Uh, what, where would you go to in God's Word if you wanted to start talking about maybe a biblical justification for congregational meetings? I'd be interested. So... Um, when it comes to well, let me let me let me open a document. Actually, <laughs> Teresa, who is a long-time listener, asked me for the documents recently. Um, let's see. Well, there. Yeah. So so basically, when it comes to when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, congregational meetings, um, I think of so at the top of my head. I'm trying to open a document, but at the top of my head. It's um, I think it's Corinthians where Paul talks about when the majority comes together. Um, so that's basically talking about decisions that have to be made um, in the presence of the majority. And now that also that also brings up another topic which we've spoken about, which is church membership. So mm. who's the majority? It doesn't include visitors, right? Mm. So these are people who have covenanted, who have committed to being part of the body. Um, of a particular local church, and basically that's the people who have the the the, the privilege to exercise uh, decision making in terms of where to as a collective um, from here. Um, and then, yeah, so that's one. And I think of the text that is usually misused as well. Where two or three are gathered in my name, mm, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 there is also. Um, well, just uh, just explain how that how that is actually misused and yes, how it should be rightly yes. used. We're talking Matthew chapter eighteen verse yeah, yeah, twenty. Yeah. So, 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 how that is basically misused is people would say, you know what, I have been um, hurt by churches. I'm gonna stay in my bedroom and I'm gonna call a friend. And yeah, my wife. She's in the bed <laughs> yes. next to me. Yeah, so we let's do communion have, together. Yeah, so we we get. Oh no, <laughs> we're gonna have a church service. We 
we're, we're two or three. We are two. We are reading the word. We are singing together. We're praying. That's no church, right? Um, yes, Jesus promises his presence with um, two or three are gathered. But in what context is that? Mm. So basically, um, so Jesus is, is, is actually giving authority to a local church in terms of um, decision-making um, because where two or three are gathered in that context is speaking of an assembly. It's not talking to um, uh, just two people who just want to stay away from a community of believers. I mean, there are people who, who would stay away from church because of um, sin, <laughs> because of they don't want to be, uh, they, don't, they don't want to have authority on top of them. They don't, they don't want to be told that the kinds of lives that they are living are wrong. Like, leave me alone. My relationship with Jesus is my relationship with Jesus. But that's not how Jesus would have your relationship be. Jesus wants you to have an under-shepherd who is under him as the, as the main shepherd. Mm. So, 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 yeah, that's how it's misused. And how it should be used is Jesus gives the authority um, that belongs to him to a local church. And the local church jointly has the presence of Jesus. And when they make a decision... It is that authority that is given by Jesus to exercise that. I think of First Corinthians chapter five as well. When 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 I think of Matthew eighteen. Mm. So yeah, that's yeah. No, uh, Tepo, as I'm as I'm just looking at the um, the questions that are now rolling in, yeah. guys. We have five minutes left. Now is not the time to ask <laughs> questions. I'm going to have to move these all to next week, and that's yeah. okay. So next week, um, we will be talking about Ezekiel chapter 38. And thank you, uh, Dinah, for, um, for some suggestions regarding how that conversation might go. Um, Caesar makes some wonderful, uh, gives a wonderful example of when it's necessary for churches to split. And uh, he, he just tells a, uh, he tells his own personal narrative uh, mm. about needing to split for a desire to see biblical church happening in a local congregation. Sure. Um, and it was particularly related to church discipline and church practice. Um, and eventually you needed to break away in order for these things to, to happen because they couldn't find common ground within the local church, uh, on a, even on a statement of faith level. Um, but, uh, yeah, excellent, Caesar. And I'm looking forward to engaging with you future, uh, in the future, brother. Uh, might be worth even getting you to call in and we can just talk around some of the issues that you have raised uh, in your questions that that you sent in via WhatsApp. And then Mavis, thank you so much. You've asked a question regarding baptism and infant baptism versus adult baptism with a smiley face at the end. <laughs> and I think the reason why you asked with a smiley face at the end is because you know there's five minutes to go. This is impossible to, to, to talk about uh, in such a short space of time. But Mavis, let me say, just like I think it might be worthwhile getting some friends in to talk mm. through Ezekiel chapter 38 as well as Revelation chapter 20 um, from different eschatological views, uh, views of future things, whether that be preterist, amoral, uh, primal, pre-trib, dispensationalist, or whether that be new covenantless. Um, it, it, it might be really interesting to get a, a group of uh, a panel in to discuss this. I'm actually pretty keen to get a couple of friends in to discuss infant baptism. Mm. And so um, I, I think that that we will line up, not for next week, but possibly for the week after. Um, I have some friends that are in Reformed uh, Evangelical Anglican churches. I think of Mike Marsland, who might not be the best guy, because I think 
<laughs> I think he's a bit schizophrenic in terms of his understanding of baptism. Um, but maybe even Mervyn Elof uh, from down in Cape Town, if you're friends with him, tell I'd him actually, that I'm... I'd actually want him to tell me what his view is. Okay, well, yeah. it might just be, it might be interesting to have friends around the, uh, around yeah. the table conversing on this uh, with open Bibles um, and, uh, and, and, and spirits that, that have genuine love for one another. So, um, so I, I will try and line that up as quickly as possible. Thank you so much for the questions, Mavis, uh, Dinah, uh, Caesar, and others that I'm not going to be able to get through in the time that has been allotted to us. Because, friends, we are coming up for the end of the hour, which means our discussion regarding all things Baptist is coming and drawing to an end. We have enough time to once again say that our prayers do go out and by that I mean I'm going to be praying for you elders and deacons who are holding the line in local churches all over our country and what you do is an important work as you think through these issues and many others into both local shores and to foreign shores um, what you guys do is an important work thank you for extending the kingdom of God where he has placed you our prayers constantly go out to those who hold the line and our respect goes out to those who hold the line in terms of um, work all of our all over our country first responders police defense force those who dispense justice firefighters paramedics uh, our nation's nurses our medical uh, personnel as well as correctional facility officers um, who work all over our country you've been listening to table talk with me, your host, Mark Penrith, along with Teppo Pitzel. Um, it has been our privilege and our joy uh, to engage with you this morning. We're going to be going to news shortly. And so until next week, Friday, uh, can I ask you to continue to walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously to Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. Amen. <laughs>